0: What I want to talk to you about is we've now had two political conventions back to back. Does anybody besides me think that things are just not real? I mean, do you have this sense of complete unreality? It's interesting that the reading is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Yeshua, if you look at them as prophets, and they both were, of course, were both speaking to Israel just before they went into exile. And they both have the same message. The message is, you guys don't know how to tell what's true. And I will suggest that this sense of unreality that you all have, we don't know what's true anymore. We have people shoveling with both hands to convince us that things that aren't true are true. So what I want to talk to you about is truth from a biblical perspective, from Yeshua's perspective, from Jeremiah's perspective, and I hope by the end of this, from your perspective. So let's start with Yeshua and I'm going to go to John chapter 15 where Yeshua is standing in front of Pilate just before the crucifixion and I'll pick it up in verse 37 then Pilate said to him so you're a king Yeshua answered you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice and Pilate said to him what is truth so Yeshua at the end of his mission as getting ready to go to the cross says my job is to come and bear witness to the truth Pilate's question of what is truth we've all grown up with pop psychology and sophomore psychology classes and when somebody doesn't really want to engage with you to get this sort of sarcastic well what's truth I'm going to suggest to you that that's not Pilate's attitude, because Pilate is a student, if you will, of Greek and Roman philosophy, and it's really a hard thing to tell what is actually true. The Greek philosophers said most of what people think is truth is really just opinion. And figuring out what is actually true is a really difficult problem. Jeremiah deals with that, and Yeshua deals with that. So what I'm going to suggest is that we go and look at what Jeremiah and Yeshua talk about on how to figure out what truth is, and we apply that to where we are today. One of the things that Yeshua says, anybody ever heard the phrase, Verily, verily, I say unto you? Anybody ever heard that? Yeshua says that over 80 times. So what Yeshua is saying is, I am telling you the truth. And the thing that I am about to tell you is true. And I'm suggesting that that is not a rhetorical device. You know, we all have these little rhetorical devices. You know, one of mine is I'll suggest to you that's become a rhetorical device of mine. Yeshua is not doing that. He is in fact telling them something that is true and something not only that is true but is going to be controversial in their hearing. In last week's Gospel reading at the end of chapter eleven. Yeshua is dealing with the lawyers in Luke eleven fifty two. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who were entering. So what is again? He's talking to is people who should know the truth, and what he's saying to those people is you're not pursuing truth and not only are you not pursuing truth you're hindering those who are trying to pursue it it's bad enough that you're not doing it but you're in the way you've got both of those things going on and by the way the scribes in this case or the lawyers in this case are believers these are people who know the scripture these are people who think that they are applying the scripture properly that's important because Jeremiah runs into the same problem. He is dealing with people who know the scriptures and who think that they are applying the scriptures properly and he goes in and he says, you guys are not applying scripture properly. You are hiding the truth. You are distorting the truth. So, one of the things that we have in this country is we have a wealth of Bibles. I mean, You almost have to reject having one not to have one in your home. We live in the age of the printing press. I have got a dozen or more different versions of the Bible in my house and got bunches of them on the computer. Now there's lots of Bibles in lots of houses that have never been cracked, but that's not because they're not available. So I will suggest that we are in much the same situation that Yeshua and Jeremiah were dealing with. They were dealing with a people who were biblically literate but are not following the truth. So first thing that we ask is why is it important? Well, I'm going to go to a couple of places. One is Yeshua, of course, says so. The passage in John that I read where he says, I am here to bear witness to the truth. So Yeshua thinks it's important, and if he thinks it's important, I do too. And I'll suggest you should also. But let's go to Jeremiah. I'm going to go beyond today's reading. It's still in chapter 2, but we stopped in chapter 2 at verse 3, and I'm going to go down to verse 11. So Jeremiah 2.11. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So there's two things that I want to emphasize here. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So I'll suggest to you that one of the characteristics of truth in a biblical sense is it's profitable. What's that mean? You know, we're a business-oriented society. We tend to think of profit in terms of money and so forth. That's not what God is talking about here. What God is talking about when he's talking about something that's profitable is something that enhances life, something that builds his people up. Now, that will include, of course, bountiful harvest and stuff in the grain bins and all that kind of stuff, the things that we would normally consider profitable. But what he's talking about is things that enhance life are profitable. And the second thing he's talking about is sustainability. And I hate to use that word because sustainability has become a buzzword on the left. But God means something different. So let's go to verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and have hewn out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we're talking about water and God is saying that the fountain of living waters is Him. He is the sustainer of life. The waters of God that flow out from Him whether they be physical water or whether they be blessing or any of those other kinds of things are the things that sustain our lives. And what He's saying is You have forsaken that living flowing water and what you've done is you've made cisterns for yourself so you can store up water and you think that by storing up water you're going to have all of the blessings that come from the flow of water but you're going to be able to store it yourself and you don't have to turn to me to get more. What God is saying is that these cisterns that you have hewn out for yourselves are in fact leaky. And what's going to happen if you depend on these cisterns is you're going to be able to go for a period of time. And you're going to think for a period of time that you've got plenty of water. And you're going to think for a period of time that everything is okay. But what I'm telling you is that cistern is slowly leaking. And all you have done is delayed the death that is inevitable by forsaking me. So the way Jeremiah talks about truth is that it's something that's profitable, something that enhances life, and something that keeps you connected to that fountain of living water. Let's go to Hosea, and I'm in Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, they break all bonds, And bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does that sound familiar? If I just described the daily news? Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse. For with you is my contention, O priest... You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. So he's dealing here with people who know scripture. And what he's saying is... Because you have rejected the proper understanding of Scripture, what you are doing is you're destroying the people that you're supposed to be teaching, and what's happening is the land is descending into swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, breaking all bonds, and bloodshed because you're not doing your job, because you're not explaining the Word of God to my people in a way that they can understand it. So what I will suggest to you is truth is really important. And we live in a world of deception. There are lots and lots of people in this world who will lie to your face with the intention of deceiving you for their own profit. And what's worse is there are lots and lots of people in this world who will believe a lie because they think the lie is more profitable to them than the truth and I will suggest that we're all vulnerable to that. The metaphor of false gods. Why on earth would Israel follow a false god? The reason is because they think they can get a better deal. It's that simple. In other words, doing things God's way requires self-discipline, requires hard work, requires getting along with your neighbors. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's required to prosper God's way There is the opportunity for a shortcut. I can get all those benefits by following this false god and I'll do better. And what the prophet says is that becomes a leaky cistern. It seems like the false god is profiting you for a while, but the cistern is leaking. And this thing that you think is profiting you right now is going to run out and you're going to die. That's what that metaphor means. And all of us are always looking for an easier way. I do. Gee, God, isn't there some alternative here? I mean, do I really have to do that? Well, yeah, you do. But it's very, very tempting when somebody comes along and suggests, I can get you a shortcut. I can get you what you're looking for without you having to do all that Worship God, be faithful, work hard, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to do all that. Follow my false God and we can get you that stuff on a shortcut. Very tempting. It's very tempting. And that's where we are, by the way. So, in Scripture, the Hebrew word lev is translated as heart. And our understanding of the way we work is there's a separation between the heart and the mind feel something in my heart, but my mind tells me this. That distinction doesn't exist in Hebrew. The process of figuring things out is a combination of the heart and the mind, as we think of it, working together. And one of my favorite phrases is, the mind is the handmaiden of the emotions. Or another way, reason is a handmaiden of the emotions. When you decide that you want something with your heart, your mind will figure out a way to get it for you. That's why it's so hard to convince people of anything with facts. Facts have no emotional context to people. I really want to do this, and you give me this fact, and I am perfectly capable of not only ignoring that fact, but coming up with my own facts that contradict it so that I don't have to pay any attention to your facts because my facts support my heart which is what I want to do you can't argue anybody into salvation they've got to want to come to God you can't argue anybody into some political way of doing things they've got to want to do it and the fact that you've got all these facts lined up is going to be of no consequence whatsoever will not change anything will not change a single heart will not change a single mind because we are really, really good at figuring out reasons to get what it is we want deep inside. So what you've got to do is change what people want and show them that the thing that they want is not profitable in the biblical sense. It doesn't bring life. It leads to death. And if you can make that emotional connection that the thing that you want is leading to your death and the death of your children and the death of your descendants then you're making an emotional argument. And then the facts can be made to line up with it. The other thing that's going on in our discourse today and in the discourse in the Bible is words have power. We've said this lots and lots of times. Everything that exists here is made by the Word of God. Words have power. In order for somebody to get you to do something, they have to use words. I want you to do X, Y, or Z. For those of you who write computer programs, you write them in words, and then the machine follows your words, one hopes, and it happens, so everything is words. So what the enemy does is he blasts words at you that build up a world that he wants you to find desirable. Let me give you an example. We don't call abortion killing the next generation. We call it a choice, and as long as we can call it a choice, then you don't have to face the fact that what you're doing is you're killing somebody. The enemy is really good at that. They are really good with words. It's the difference between sounds good and is good, and those are two different concepts. The enemy is an expert at producing sounds good. Wow, that sounds good. And there's a difference between sounds good and is good. And what I am hoping to be able to give you a handle on is how do you tell the difference between sounds good and is good. And there's a biblical way to do that. And it's really important that you understand it. Now I'm going to say that there are four tests. And the tests are broken into two parts. There's a one-question test for one, and then there's a three-part test for two. And what you're trying to do in the first one is you're trying to figure out if the person is trustworthy. There's one question there. And then in the second set is, is what the person says sounds good or is good? Everybody see the distinction? One is you're testing the person himself. Does this person speak truth? And the other one is, okay, what that person says sounds good. Is it really good? Assuming that I then trust that the person himself believes what he's saying. Because remember, in our gospel reading today, the lawyers believed what they were saying. They believed they were telling the truth. They believed that they were quoting scripture. And Yeshua was saying, no, you're not. The words that you're saying come out of scripture, but what you're doing with them doesn't match Reality, It's not profitable. So the lawyer in that case would pass the first question because they believe what they're saying. But they would fail on the second set of three. So the first question is, what is this person's track record? Has this guy consistently told me the truth in the past? And by the way, the first time you meet some slick talking guy, you have no real way to tell if he's telling you the truth because you have no track record. So as you're listening to people who talk to you and trying to sell you something, and every politician, by the way, is trying to sell you something. He's trying to sell you himself. He's trying to sell you a vision of the world that he wants to create. It's a sales job. And that's not bad. That's not cynical or anything like that. But just understand that they're trying to sell you something. So the first question you've got to ask is, does the thing that they say that they are selling or say that they're going to do match what they have done in the past? So that's the first question. Has this guy been truthful in the past? Now, second set of questions, there's three questions. And in order to understand these questions, you need to understand that in Hebrew, the word devar means word. It also means thing. So when you read the Bible and you see the word devar, in every single case, you could translate that either as thing or as word and be correct. The distinction that we have in English between a word and a thing does not exist in Hebrew. A word is a thing. A thing is a word. That's important. So, what's your first question? Do the words match the thing? In English, we have this dichotomy between words and things. So, if somebody says the word, does it match the thing? Or is the word trying to create a thing that doesn't exist, or is the word not actually describing the thing? Let me give you an example. Does anybody know what the Affordable Care Act is? That's the words, Affordable Care Act. Do those words match the thing? They don't. Salespeople, and and that includes politicians, and again, I'm not talking against salespeople, Salespeople are good people and they need to sell stuff and, and they, they do that very well. And in most cases, that's benign. So I'm not, I'm not talking down. But what they do is they sell through the use of words. And so what politicians will do when they are trying to sell you something is they will put a name on it that really sounds good. The Affordable Care Act. Well, who can argue with that? Sounds like a wonderful thing to me. But the words don't match the thing So that's your first test. You look at the thing and you see if the words match. And if they don't, somebody's trying to sell you three magic beans. Just understand that flat out. That's your first test. Your second test is does the thing, does the thing enhance life? And by the way, not locally, but globally. Let me give you an example. Again, from the political realm. Ethanol. Ethanol is really good for Iowa. It truly is really good for Iowa. And Iowa farmers are making a boatload of money off of ethanol. It is not so good for the rest of the world or the rest of the country. Because we are fermenting our corn into alcohol to burn in our engines, the price of corn in Egypt and Mexico has skyrocketed. And it's one of the sources of the migration that we are seeing. True statement. That's one of the sources of the Arab Spring is corn got so expensive that people couldn't afford it. And you had social unrest and a whole bunch of other things. And again, that's one of the reasons for the migration north from Mexico is tortillas are expensive because we're burning corn in our engines instead of feeding it to people. Really good for Iowa. Iowa is profiting handsomely. But globally it is not enhancing life. So in the second test that you need to apply is does this thing that is described by those words first do the words match the thing and now that we have established what the thing is does the thing enhance life or does it lead to a leaky cistern and that's hard by the way because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on but a lot of it isn't hard You know, go back to the Affordable Care Act everybody could see that it wasn't going to work We all knew it wasn't going to work. Nobody who put it together thought it was going to work. It was intended not to work. But there were people, the equivalent of Iowa, if you will, that profited from it. And so those people were able to put together a whole bunch of words that made it sound good. Sounds good versus is good. And then the third one, is it a leaky system? Are we just storing up water to avoid connecting ourselves to the living water. Are we building a leaky cistern for ourselves? And, of course, the Affordable Care Act and ethanol, and and I mean, I, I just picked two of them off the top of my head. There are hundreds of them. And what they are are leaky cisterns. And what we are seeing in the United States right now is just like Israel at the time of Jeremiah, And just like Israel at the time of Yeshua, the people have trusted in leaky cisterns, and the generations before them have filled up those cisterns so there's a lot of water there, and it looks to them like we can go forever. The United States is fabulously wealthy. The United States has gotten wealth that has never been imagined in the history of the world. And so you've got a whole bunch of people that says, Well, let's go ahead and tap that cistern. And the cistern is leaking and we are running down, just like Israel was running down because they put their trust in a leaky cistern. And that's where we are. So four questions. Question number one is about the person. Does this guy have a track record of telling the truth? If you get past that, then does the thing match the words? Or... Is there a disconnect between the thing and the words? Because remember, in Hebrew, there is no disconnect. The thing and the words are the same. The second one is, does the thing enhance life? So once you've figured out what the thing is, does it enhance life or does it not? And then the third question is, is it sustainable? Not in the bolder sense of sustainable, but in God's sense of sustainable. Are you building yourself a leaky system? which is eventually going to run dry and leave you to die. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.